Hey everyone, welcome to the show. I hope you guys are doing okay. Uh, I hope everyone is doing okay in these very, very strange times that we're having. Uh, I hope that this interview finds you well and I hope just everyone's in tip-top shape. So um, with that, we'll go ahead and jump right in. We did something a little bit different this episode. It's actually available on the Racing on the Rocks YouTube channel under the playlist podcast. Uh, Michael and I actually... YouTube lived it on Wednesday evening, um, so that'll be an option in the future for you to check out podcasts if you choose to do that. Uh, their podcast is up there not only with audio but visuals, video of Michael and myself. I think it's a really great way to watch uh, watch the podcast if you've got a chance to actually watch it. Today's show is the best because. It is brought to you by Supergrip ATV. Supergrip ATV recently, they launched a new version of the K9, and it's a softer compound. Um, I'm not exactly sure of what the terminology that they've settled on. Uh, they were going by standard intermediate, which is the tire that just came out, uh, and, and ultimately a uh, competition um compound i guess you could say uh basically what that means is it's the same tread pattern as the k9 and what they've done is they've made the rubber softer so probably asking yourself why would you necessarily make something softer um well it's actually going to grip the terrain a little bit better you're not going to have as long of uh, longevity out of the tires in terms of tread life and things like that compared to the standard compound however they are performance wise one step closer and, and and just into a different league of their own. I actually run the standard tires on my side-by-side. -side. I run them on my Razor. I run them in the 30s. They're huge. Um, they're a true 30. They're Kevlar sidewall, and they offer also a radial sidewall, um, just a regular nylon belt. Um, but they're super awesome. Uh, you can run them at super low PSI, and they hook like a sticky, and you air them up just a little bit more, and they'll pretty much puncture resistant. Uh, never had an issue with flats. Haven't really seen anyone have any issues with flats. Um, I've seen a couple people uh, get flats, but they were like barreling down the hill and hit a sharp rock, etc., etc. Um, but Supergrip ATV is awesome. Give those guys a uh, follow on Facebook and Instagram. And if you're interested in picking up or trying a new set of tires out, that is where my uh, that's that's where my hat gets thrown in the ring is a super grip ATV K9 tires for your UTV and they have a, a ton of different applications for many off-road uh, vehicles in terms of quads, um, UTVs, ATVs, golf carts, lawnmowers, and even industrial tires. So supergripatv.com, supergripatv on Facebook and Instagram. I highly recommend you check those guys out. Our next sponsor on the list is We Buy Rides. We Buy Rides with a Z uh, is WeBuyRides.com. They're a third-party um, car dealership, and and what really makes them special is their their ability to take a request. Uh, you know, the cars that they specialize in are four by fours, diesels, and Highline vehicles. And you know, if they don't already have the car of your dreams on the lot, um, they'll be able to find it for you. But most importantly. Um, if you want to take your car as a trade-in, they'll give you the highest cash value possible for that car. Uh, absolutely awesome, you know, kind of a no BS car switcheroo salesman ordeal. 
It's just not like that. They'll go in there, they'll give you the highest percentage, uh, or the highest amount of money that they can give you for your car. That, that value is available uh, on trade-in for another vehicle or an outright cash offer. WeBuyRides.com will give you the highest cash offer possible available with your rig. Another really cool thing about we uh, we buy rides is that they're a small business. I actually know the owner. I've dealt with them pretty uh, you know pretty often here in the off road circle, and uh, he's always treated me well. So I have nothing but good things to say about him. Um, our next sponsor. Uh, so before we go away, we buy rides with a Z .com and we buy rides with an S on Facebook. <clears throat> our next sponsor is Infinite Off Road. Infinite Off Road is. Um, just been around for forever like they've been with the show from day one they have the highest in my opinion just just the most efficient way to buy lighting it's where price and quality meet you get something that's way high in quality especially at the price point it's at um, they also offer a crazy warranty uh, a 25 year you break it they fix it warranty no questions asked on all infinite off-road products which include uh, infinite off-road light bars, light pods, um, mirrors with lights in them, wheel rings, whips, uh, especially the rock light kits. The rock light kits are extremely popular on full-size and side-by-side -side vehicles. I've even seen them on motorcycles. Uh, just a really cool setup that they have. Very easy to do, very easy to use. Um, the light pods that I run on my car are actually just plug and play. Uh, I just had to, you know, detach them to power and then plug them in and it worked perfect. Um, Came with mounts, uh, came with a really hard, rigid casing on there, and a ton of output. So, infiniteoffroad.com. They also offer listeners of the show 10% off with coupon code ROCKS, R-O-C-K-S, at checkout. Infinite Offroad on Facebook and Instagram, infiniteoffroad.com. I don't know if y'all can tell, I'm a little short-winded. I was actually out there painting my new... Uh, rear tire carrier that I had that I had made um, by Batcave Customs and I think I took in too many uh, too much spray paint there I was, so, I was ew, it was tough there at the beginning but coming back to um, last but not least the sponsor is all things UTV all things UTV has all your hard parts that you need skid plates doors axles wheels uh, tires they're a super grip ATV tire uh, carrier uh, retailer so if you're looking to get tires uh, that we talked about earlier super or I'm sorry uh, all things UTV can get you squared away um, I use all things UTV to get some inner fender liners so that I know I won't have any objects come from the ground through my firewalls and I have not only myself, but my passenger protected as well now. Um, also, running their tender spring upgrade kit definitely gives a little bit more life to that suspension. Um, all the way around, All Things UTV is a great company to deal with with excellent, excellent um, shipping times and just customer service all the way around. I'm happy to have those guys on board. So, All Things UTV on Facebook and Instagram. AllThingsUTV.com Okay, so that's all the ads here. I'm telling y'all, man, they got a real big whiff of that spray paint because it was—it's just taking it out of me. <clears throat> My guest today is someone that I'm a really big fan of. Um, watched him race for the past couple years. Got to meet him. I think it was last year. Got to meet him for the first time. Um, just a gentleman, excellent guy, family man. A uh, couple of kids, one more on the way. Uh, just awesome and super dedicated to the race program. And for the first time in a long time, 
he is a Polaris Razor driver. Uh, no more of these Can-Am guys for now. So uh, without further ado, the great and powerful Michael Lee. Get a drink and gather around. Let's talk drivers. Let's talk rigs. Let's talk skill. You've got the best of the best in the off-road racing world. Have a seat at the table with us and let's talk about racing on the rocks. Button on the YouTube. So okay. YouTube is telling us that we're live. Uh, let me jump over to that stream really quick and see if we are actually live i don't see it oh yeah it says we're live there it is um, it's on. It's so funny i don't even think i'm subscribed to myself on youtube <laughs> i just subscribed <laughs> to you don't worry <laughs> <laughs> that's a power move right there don't even support yourself <laughs> i don't think i support myself either don't worry <laughs> uh, all right so let me uh <clears throat> For those who are listening, welcome to the show, Michael Lee. I have him in the uh, in the online studio. We're changing things up. Um, we're actually live on YouTube. Uh, this will eventually be posted to Facebook. Um, trying something new. I hope it works out. Uh, we'll see how it goes. But um, Michael, thank you for being a guinea pig for me. Um, it's yeah. It's thanks cool. for having me, man. It's awesome. Glad yeah. to do it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's see here. Let's get that posted up to Facebook. Perfect. Uh, and hello, everyone. This is uh, what I look like. A lot of people uh, just know the voice and they don't necessarily know really anything else. Um, this is me. Uh, Michael, I actually got a chance to meet you uh, at an AOP race uh, for Ultra 4. And you are the first person to ever go like, racing on the rocks and i was like yay that's me and and it was one of those moments where i was just like oh cool so hey uh, yeah people are looking at you it's awesome no nah, yeah, it's it was, awesome man i appreciate what you're doing for everybody it's awesome yeah uh i say it all the time i'm just a fan who wanted to talk to all, all of you guys because um you know as we, we kind of talked a little bit before the podcast everyone is so busy and it is a really weird time right now where everyone's not so busy so we're trying new things trying to get everybody in here but uh, you guys never have had the opportunity to go in an uninterrupted setting, you know, outside of the race course immediately before or after and have the opportunity to talk about race or what it is, who you are, things you like and don't like. So uh, that's what I wanted to give you guys. So yeah, certainly. Uh, super glad to have you on. Um, I don't even know where to start. Uh, let's just start with these, with, with with what's going on right now. Why we're not racing? Um, obviously, you're pretty upset that the season's not going on. But um, well, I guess we could start at King of Hammers. I guess that's probably a good. Yes, yeah. you start at the beginning. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about the race, about the car, because you had a real short window to build that car. You got out there, and obviously, everyone by now has seen the video. Uh, you kind of had a little bit of an unexpected jump. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was, um, I don't know, it's a bit of an undertaking for sure. We, I don't, I don't even know where to start. So basically, like in the summer, I've just been eyeballing um, what Polaris was doing um, and what new machine was coming out, if I should just go buy a Turbo S or mm -hmm. what it should be. Um, I think we were all kind of were just, anybody in the side-by-side -side industry was, um watching and waiting and i had sold my 2018 that we had a successful run with um in the king of the hammers with top 20 uh, 
the previous year with it. So yeah. I was looking for something new. I was kind of like, hey, let's get something new. And that Pro XP came out. And um, honestly, at first, it didn't strike me as uh, the cool thing. Like I was questioning it a little bit. So um, I called my local dealer up and um, I said, hey, you got any Turbo S's? Because I was like, that's what seems to be a proven track record there. So let's buy a Turbo S. So I had everything done, signed, sealed, ready to go. I just had to go pick it up. Well, I get there, and there was a Pro XP there. And I said, hey, we should look at this thing. And you just sit. I'm not sure if anybody has sat in a Pro XP, but if you haven't, I had them both next to each other, a Pro XP and a Turbo S. And that's all it took for me. I just sat in it. I just felt more comfortable. Yeah, I agree. I hate to do this to the salesman, but uh, I got to go buy this Pro XP now. (laughs) (laughs) I, I completely understand. Uh, because I actually watched the social media hype kind of come in. Um, obviously, there was a huge negative response to the to the look of the car, and and I'll, I'll give it to him. It's not the best looking machine that's ever been made for sure. But I went down to my local dealer and I sat in a Turbo S, I sat in an RS1, I sat in a Pro XP, I sat in everything. And I've said that before on the show, like when you sit in it and you feel it, they they really nailed the inside. The inside is perfect and you know without even having driven any of the other ones yet uh you could tell that that's the that's the one that's like the model that they're going to start building off of now that's the one that's going to keep going i I think they refactored the design on it a little bit because it's a little it is a little goofy looking um which by the way uh for those who are listening and not uh watching um we actually have video pulled up and i've got a picture pulled up um of michael's car at king of hammers and you like chopped off. I think you called it the shark fin, and yeah. chopped it off, dude. It looks a, like a totally different car. It looks great. Yeah, for sure. It, I appreciate that. Um, it, like, like I said, man, we sat and that thing it was me and my wife and my kids were all sitting there. And like, I was like, the Turbo S just feels like I'm in a my 2014 XP 1000. Like, that, not necessarily a bad thing. I was just like, it's just not the new thing. Like, I've sat in yeah. Can Ams and. Um, and even the talons and stuff. I was like, the seating is just not right yet. Um, and of course, I always change things up and put some seats in it. But I sit in that Pro XP and the ergonomics of it all was just better. The steering wheel felt good. The line of sight was good. And uh, the comfort of the, just the factory seats were good. And I had a ton of leg room. I'm six one, so I need the leg room. And um, I was like, this is it. This is the ticket. And uh, my wife was like, you do it. Like, run with it. So yeah, that's a blessing right there to have her jump on board like that. That's really, that's uh, many people's dreams. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, once you get in it, obviously you sit in it, you make your decision from there, but I got a chance to drive uh, Hubert's actually. uh, And and we'll kind of talk about that too, because obviously the nitro circus switch over to Can-Am has been substantial. It seems to grab a lot of eyes. Um, But I got a chance to drive Hubert's when he was still with Polaris and uh, the thing drives particularly steering like no other side-by-side I've ever been in. Um, It really feels like it can steer under itself and it's almost like in a full-size vehicle doing like a front dig. Um, It really like really can pull the front end around. I felt super, it feels sturdy. It feels like locked in. You point, it goes, it was smooth. Um, It definitely drives better than any of the previous vehicles, for sure. I agree 100%. Um, it's kind of a downfall of uh, side-by-side or power sports in general. And, you know, dealerships, you don't get to test drive them. Um, mm-hmm. So that was kind of the risk. But 
David Uptane, he had told me, and he went to the release of the Pro XP, and he was like, dude, you're going to love it. You don't have a machine. It's the one you need to buy. So mm-hmm. um, the, the concern was obviously parts and uh, building it in a short time frame. We bought it in November. So we had um, two months to build it, essentially. Yeah. Um, well, let me ask this. Uh, yeah, there's well, oh, yeah. different yeah. settings on there in terms of, I think, suspension, really. Is, is, is that the big difference? On what now? On the Pro XP, the three different models. I think they have like a premium, ultimate, and like a base package. Yep, that's it. It's just the electronics and uh, the suspension. Obviously, get the uh, top of the line. You're going to get a stereo with it and uh, the dynamic suspension um, and, you know, backup camera, forward camera, and the ride command is all with that. And then my model uh, is just a premium. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basic. It's got the uh, the updated um, uh speedometer and the cluster is moved on the steering wheel and there's no uh, electronics package and then the base model i think it's just uh it's just even more stripped down to that i don't even know to be honest with you other than the color but yeah i kind of questioned it myself and unfortunately i don't know the answer to it <laughs> <laughs> uh it just how do you convince someone who looks at it and says first off i don't like the way it looks and then second, you know, obviously these are getting these, these side by sides are getting more and more and more expensive as time goes on. They see a price, they see something that doesn't necessarily look as aggressive as another vehicle. You know, what do they do? What, 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 how would you sell them on this without them being a chance, you know, getting a chance to go take it out in the woods? Uh, obviously, I think um, without driving it, man, just I can just sit here and tell people all day how cool it is and stuff and how much better it drives. Everybody's driven a, a razor at some point in their life, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can just say that like when I got at home and test wrote for the first time, like I knew immediately it was a game changer of a machine. Um, mm-hmm. Pushing in the corners, it just like it felt planted. It didn't feel like it was trying to uh, bicycle in the corners or anything. It just felt real planted. And man, you can get back on the gas and just, that thing just rotates in the corners. Like it's unbelievable. And the steering, like you said, it's just so responsive. And um, I, I'm not the engineer with Polaris and I don't know what they do with the power steering and the, the rack, but um, and even the wheelbase probably has some contributing factors to it, but it, it was a night and day difference. And uh, one of my friends was up um, from the coast and he was up here and he was, uh, he's like, let, let me drive that thing. I've driven all your old, old ones before and Can-Ams and everything. And he drove it. And it took one lap around my yard and he went and bought one the next week. So, um, and he's like not the type that goes and buys things like that. So, they, let me get back to my window here, I'm clicking on the wrong tabs. Um, they come out with the second iteration of this car. Um, I think it's uh, okay. Is the Pro XP the first year it came out of 2020 and the, these new colors are the 2021s? Yes. Um, The the, the red and white were the first two colors and that black is the base model there. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then they have the lime green coming out next year, right? Yeah. I believe that I saw something about that. I know that the Mexico edition is like that. um, Yeah. (laughs) Because first off, uh, it looks like a Dorito bag, which, you know, sounds (laughs) like I'm making fun of it. It really does. But in all seriousness, that car looks so good. The best car, does. in my opinion, like the best color scheme they ever made was that 2016 Turbo with the orange and, and just the the wrap looked good. The stickers looked good. It was awesome. And they really nailed it. 
which makes me think, you know, obviously there was a little bit of an upheaval uh, on social media whenever that car got kind of publicized in a way. Um, did they bring that car to America? Like what, what did they do to, to combat the looks? Because all of a sudden people didn't care about the headlights. This thing looked awesome. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I think that everyone's initial reaction of this machine was kind of like, uh, what? You know, everybody's kind of questioned a little bit. And I'm not going to lie, when I went to the dealership, um, they had a Pro XP sitting out front, and I walked by it, and I was like, there's no way that's the Pro XP because it did not look good. But um, I saw some things I could change, you know, just visually just looking over and, and kind of make it look better. Obviously, the cage design would be a big deal, sure. and that shark fin was kind of on my mind. But um, I think that the looks, it's it's a big driver of sales, man. I mean, like you said, that thing caught on. Um, and it looks super cool. And I think people would buy it just to kind of stand out. Like mm-hmm. the red and white, just kind of simple and bland. And um, personally, I love the black stuff. Like the black razor looks, it's probably the best looking razor out that yeah. right yeah. now. Yeah. Like, and that's the thing, like it's the same machine, just black plastics and it looks way better. That's the thing that gets me about a lot of this stuff. And, and I'm kind of going through that cycle actually right now with my own car, where my car is completely white. I did not build it that way. It just so happened to land like that. But the way the cards are falling is I'd like to do a wrap on it because when you, I mean, you know, your car, when it was before it got wrapped to after you had your Walker Evans racing wrap on there and like everything looked perfect oh, yeah. together, it just makes the car look a hundred times faster. I mean, better, stronger, faster, the whole nine yards. Everything is better. Um, why is it that just painting everything black and making it look a little better will likely drive sales up to this car? I mean, just it's a silly reason for people to get upset about. Yeah, I, um, I don't have the exact answer to that. I know for me personally, it's just uh, I, I know that the machine performed well, and everybody when it was released was just questioning the looks of it. Mm-hmm. So hearing everyone now saying, "Hey, it's." performing great and now they have these options where they actually look really good um i think it's it's going to drive sales i mean for me personally like i'm looking at buying a new truck and um i've never been a ford person in my life and i'm over here looking at um ford raptors and mainly because the color options are really cool (laughs) so yeah um i don't know i guess uh probably not a good reason to buy something but um I mean, it's a performing vehicle and it perform. it's a well-performing vehicle. And uh, if it looks good and performs well, then it's going to sell. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Um, a lot of the hot topic uh, that, that are go along with all of these cars, especially the Polaris machines in particular, um, the, the suspension, obviously there's the whole tender spring thing. There's the, my car rides like crap or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, Walker Evans Racing is producing most of the shocks that are coming on these cars these days. Um, the, you know, the 1000 XPs are coming with the needle style. I know that the Turbo S is coming with a different style, and so are the Pro XPs. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they are. Okay. What, what's, the, what's the difference? Other than, like, obviously, the, the needles being the small piggyback reservoir on the back of the coilover um, that you see pretty much everywhere right now and have been on the cars since about 2017-ish. Um, and now they look bigger. Uh, is the reservoir bigger? Or what's the difference? Yeah, on the base models, it's obviously just an entry-level shock. It's not going to keep. Um, it's going to heat up real fast, and uh, you're kind of limited on what you can do as far as 
um, you know, suspension tuning. So you have to do some upgrades along the way to get that going. The Turbo S's, they're um, the Walker Evans versions. They're using the, actually the Velocity Shock. So it's a um, correct me if I'm wrong. Walker Evans, don't hate me for it, but it's an internal bypass shock. Um, and it, for me personally, that's my go-to shock on any vehicle. I'm not running them on mine yet because they're still kind of in testing on the Pro XP. Um, but it has a, a really good bottoming resistance, and uh, overall, the shock just it's it's larger and has a larger reservoir. Cooling is better, and uh, it's a little bit more tunability, um, low speed and high speed compression. So, you know, on the Pro XP, it's kind of still an entry level shock. Um, don't get me wrong; it works really well. I raced with them, I qualified with them, um, and yes, we did tweak them, and they are pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, when you say you tweak them, um, uh, what do you, what do you mean? What now? Say that one more time, Jesse. Uh, sorry. When you say you tweak the shocks, can you can you tell me a little bit more about what, what you mean there? Because you know a lot of people, that's kind of a, a like a black box when people say suspension tuning. Um, it just like does it springs? Is it, what do they do? And like you know, can you share yeah. a little bit on what that process is? Um, so typically, the first go to is you have to get these things sprung right. Um, it doesn't matter if you're building a side-by-side, it doesn't matter what brand it is, um, or a full-size vehicle, you have got to get your spring rates right. Um, so that's the first thing. And, uh, everybody's gonna be different. Some people add spare tires and coolers and different size cages and, you know, sound systems and all these other accessories. Um, so the factory springs are really just not capable of doing it. So you have to get your spring rate right. And that's probably one of the most important pieces to the puzzle. Let me ask you this. Um, Are the springs from the factory too stiff or too soft? Um, I thought they were pretty close. Um, The slow speed stuff is is still not where I liked it out of the box. Mm -hmm. Um, When I say slow speed, I mean like rock crawling. Mm -hmm. We change the spring rates on mine a little bit. We mess with them some in California. and it got better. It still wasn't like the best I've ever had, mm-hmm. um, but we were just limited on testing time. So uh, the Pro XP is really close. Like, uh, it just it's I don't know, man. It's it's a hard thing to describe because so many people uh, just trail riding with them, and some people like me are just simply racing with them. That's the only time they get in the cars to race. So for me, it was like the slow speed stuff was a little. Um, just a little stiff, but the, I don't know. It's, it's a hard thing to do. I think most average trail rider guys are going to be a hundred percent happy with the ride and not mm-hmm. complain about it other than, Hey, my tender springs are squishing down and at that point. I, again, it, it goes back to the springs. You need to put springs that suit your machine on there. Now, in so, your opinion, obviously you've had cars that have had the full nine yards done where they revalve, they respring, they do everything. Um, yeah how much does valving come into play when you just, you know, go ride the car for fun, whenever you're cruising around your house and, you know, you are going trail riding, you're doing a little bit of those Creek trails like we have here in the Southeast. Um, yeah. it, it does, is valving worth the extra, you know I mean? Cause it comes out to like two grand to get your shocks there, get them valved. And that's, you know, maybe potentially without even spring upgrades. Is that worth yeah. it? Oh yeah. It's a hundred percent worth it. Um, <laughs> I think there's plenty of guys out there that are, are doing them and they, they have a good um, just off the shelf combo that kind of works decently for everyone. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, a lot of people just haven't been on a good shock. So they mm-hmm. don't know what it potentially could be. So anything better than what the factory is, they think it's 
you know, God's gift of shocks, um, to be honest with you. But um, yes, it's worth it for sure. Um, and whoever is doing your shock work, just you got to tell them what your plans are with the vehicle and, and every detail about what you're planning on doing with it and the setup of the vehicle. And now, there, I mean, are you sending your shock directly to Walker Evans or you, do you have someone on this side of the country that takes care of it? Uh, Walker Evans takes care of my stuff directly. Um, okay. And I have uh, obviously some loyalties to them, um, but I just I have been pleased with them to the point where I really haven't gone out and said, man, I got to try something different because sure. let me tell you, Walker Evans is testing every day with their shocks and on every single side by side out there, they are testing them and trying to do the best thing possible. Um, that's going to sell as kind of a medium in between for everyone to, mm-hmm. to really have some, um, a pleasurable ride. Um, so they, they, they spend the time to do it right. And, uh, when I get the velocity shocks, that's a race only shock consider. I and mean, that's what it's really considered as mm-hmm. it comes out of the box and it's, it's good to go. Like you, could you make it better? Sure. Well, let me ask you it's better. Let me ask you this. Um, okay, I'm a trail rider guy. and building my car to be the ultimate. And by the way, I see the comments coming through the YouTube live channel. We'll we'll, we'll mention them in a second, Eric. Especially you. Uh, it's a skill. It takes it's charm to get this this smooth. Uh, <laughs> um, but however, uh, I'm a trail rider. You know, I have put a tender spring upgrade. You know, I threw a couple hundred bucks at my springs, so I put a new tender spring on there. Uh, the ride is better, but um, still have the stock valving, still have the stock lower. Uh, is it worth me buying brand new, you know, velocity shocks and having them tuned for trail riding? Or is it a better option for me to take my needle shocks that I have and just ship them off and, and, and use those? Or is it better just to, like I said, go buy, uh, you know, $4,000 shock set up and have them come tuned, sprung, everything I need straight to my door and not have to worry about it? Um, so in my opinion, it would be to redo your factory shocks, get the springs right, and then find someone that can um, get the valving set up correctly. And, and like I said, a lot of guys now have a good go-to setup, and a bunch of people have different theories on what works better and what mm-hmm. works in certain scenarios. Um, but that's the way I think you should do it. Now, there's plenty of guys that think, I'm going to get the best ride out of a set of Walker Evans or Fox, um, you know, Kings, whatever they may be. Um, and you know, I get that some people just like to spend the money cause that's their hobby. Um, but I totally think you can get the ride quality you're looking for mm-hmm. out of mm-hmm. a spring swap correctly done. And then having the shocks valve, you know, to fit your needs. I think that's, I think that's a great place. And, and even then, even if you're not satisfied with that, go take the jump, spend, spend the money, you know, do yeah. what you want to do. Yeah. Uh, and if you, if you talk to the guys over at Walker Evans, like their sales guys are really good. They'll tell you the same thing, man. And I'm sure Fox and King and all the other shock manufacturers out there be the same way. Um, it, you know, when you start getting into, you know, heavy race shocks and, and custom tuning and valving stuff, like it, it's each, each way has its perks and defaults. And um, it's just really what suits you. <laughs> yeah, I understand. So let me ask you this. Um, I'm, I'm navigating over here on the screen, but what are you doing with your chassis? Again, everyone has seen the video. Uh, uh, a little bit got a lean to it. <laughs> so what are you doing with that car now that you have uh, a little bit of work to do? Let's put it that way. Um, 
so we're still kind of up in the air. I'm not going to lie. Um, we I, <laughs> just back it up to after the wreck. Um, I left like two days after King of the Hammers, um, and I have not seen the car until okay. last Wednesday. Um, it's been a sore subject for me. Um, I've been ill about it. I've been uh, frustrated and just all the terms you can think of. I've been there with it. Um, so, um, yeah, so I got it. Chris brought it back to me last week and um, I ordered chassis for it from Polaris. Um, we, uh, we're going to rebuild it. We're going to get all the drivetrain swapped over to the new chassis. Um, and just kind of get everything where it needs to be. And we're going to improve it from there. Um, it'll have factory plastics on there. Um, I'm not sure about the lower part portion. It'll probably be boat side. Um, and we're just going to kind of build it. We're going to, the idea and people have, that I've talked to in the industry, they always ask me what I'm doing. I'm like, man, I kind of want to race this race and that race and this race. It's like, well, you need three different cars. Yeah. So I kind of want to build a car that's capable of doing all three. I'm not sure if they're all going to be capable of necessarily a win. Um, but really and truly, I want to build a car that's able to go race King of the Hammers um, and get through the rocks and be successful in a true endurance car. I want to be able to go race UTV World Championships and, and long desert races. And then I even want to be able to bring it back to the East Coast and, um, you know, go race a pro rock or ultra four race on this side of the country. So that's kind of what I want to do with it. And with that comes a lot of uh, things, (laughs) a lot of complications because you're trying to get fuel mileage incorporated into it. You're trying to keep it super light for the East coast um, and keep the speed up. Um, So there's just a lot of factors that are going into it. And we're just kind of taking it day by day, getting the drivetrain swapped over it. Majority of it swapped over already. Um, And then I'll take it back up to Chris's shop and we're just kind of start cutting up the brand new factory chassis and uh placing stuff where it needs to go accordingly and just trying to keep it safe and light and fast when so, you say placing stuff accordingly are you talking about reinforcements on the frame are you talking about you know moving uh thing moving radiators moving you know etc cetera, etc cetera? Well, what does that mean yeah we we will be doing all of the above um we will be moving the radiators to the back um we are actually going to modify the front bulkhead uh we're going to modify the lower um rails of the chassis the center ones will still be the factory we're going to modify um from that point outward um mm-hmm. and then the, the b and the c pillars will be modified accordingly as well so we're just going to kind of beef it up it's going to be like a mixture of a, a buggy um slash factory build it'll look factory but it'll be a lot stronger um and then obviously when you add a larger fuel cell you have to rearrange some stuff there um, you're building an endurance car, desert car. Um, you have to have room for all that kind of stuff. You just start thinking, you know, spare tire, a jack, um, some, you know, spare axle, tie rods, fluids, um, just anything and everything. You just start kind of running out of room for. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just building it that way and, and reinforcing the chassis where it needs to be and adding some 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 more bracing and. The idea, I don't know if it'll work or not, is be able to almost have like a serviceable chassis. So if we do go cartwheeling through the desert again, mm-hmm. um, we can kind of like cut sections out of it okay. and reweld it. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. I mean, I know that there's a lot of guys out there who have rewelded parts of their chassis over and over again. I remember um, Anthony Yant was telling me when I went to go pick up the RS1 that he has 
pretty much rewelded that entire frame on that Turbo S. And man, after just looking, you know, we got in there and actually showed me exactly what was going on. And uh, it's very interesting. So I, I think that, you know, taking the opportunity to set especially some some extra stiffeners in there, some support, things like that, because obviously you know where the weak points are now. <laughs> we have found them for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that that's an awesome idea and uh, longevity for the car. So good, good for you guys. Um, but race season is pretty much canceled. Um, I know the goal is. I think. I think. I don't. I don't know what Trump's saying right now. Uh, I don't know what the CDC is saying, but I think the word is May or beginning of May, mid-May. I don't know, but I'll be honest with you. Uh, I personally don't think that there's going to be a 2020 race season. Uh, I think if, if there is, it'll be uh, September, November, and it may be, you know, limited numbers of people in the parks, maybe even just racers only. Yeah. It's um, I, I don't really know what to think about all that kind of stuff. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a tough, it's a fine subject too. You know, I, I'm, if anybody checks my Facebook page, you'll probably see I'm kind of uh on the fence about it all, but, um, uh, I've seen, you know, I actually, I have, uh, let me say this delicately. My (laughs) mother-in-law loves a good conspiracy theory and she, uh, sent me one the other day and she actually, she sent me about, you know, three or four good ones, but, uh, there is some meat to it in terms of not only, you know, it's, Obviously, there's a virus and it's making people sick and it's going around the world. I think everyone can agree on that. Now, is this is there more to it? Is there, you know, is this a cover up for something else? Is there something else going on? You know, et cetera, et cetera, all these things. Uh, that's where the questions come in for me. What, what do you think about that? So my take on it is similar to yours. There's definitely some stuff going on. People are getting sick and um, people are obviously dying. And that's uh, that's never a good thing. Um, with that being said, I uh, delicately said, I don't think, and I'm not a doctor or I'm not a politician by any means, but I just, it just doesn't seem like there's enough information for us to be just jumping and, um, and making these like crazy decisions that are affecting global economics. Um, yeah, that's, that's, my take that's very hard. And like now, you know, of course, you know, here in Alabama, they're like, Alabama's going to be the deadliest state and we're going to be the worst affected. And I'm like, man, is this, this is getting kind of crazy out here. We're all going to people close to us are going to die and it's going to be terrible. Like, I, you know, kind of get some nerve going on about it. And then what, three or four days later, it's like, oh, projections were wrong. Um, Alabama's going to be in the clear and things are looking up and we flatten the curve. So it's just, who knows what to believe. And like I said, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a politician. I, I don't know any much about these diseases, but on my take, I'm just like, do we actually have enough data to be making these decision, decisions to shut down the world? I, I think that if you look at it from a scientific standard, and again, neither of us are doctors are talking about it because it, yeah. it influences our race season. Um <laughs> So keeping people apart is essentially buying time. That's that's the idea behind it. Uh, I was listening to another podcast today with an epidemiologist, and they were talking about basically they can't develop anything vaccine-wise. They don't know how necessarily to help because up until you know 
two or three weeks ago, there weren't patients to test on. So they, you know, had these potential things. So now that they can run clinical trials, you know, they're just now getting to the point where clinical trials can be done. Uh, It's all very interesting, but you know, all of that aside, I think the most interesting thing is, and, and again, this is not a political statement either way, anyway, at, at whoever, you know, everyone is doing the best that they can everywhere. Course, yeah. That's kind of my mentality on it is no one, no one knows exactly what's happening. So everyone's just kind of rolling with the punches. However, uh, the big thing was the CDC came out and they said, you know, okay, everyone's got to have a mask, you know, obviously masks stop the, the breath exchange. And then a couple of weeks later, you know, obviously we see a shortage of masks and the idea was medical professionals are not being able to get the masks that they need. So the CDC comes out and is like, oh, you don't need to wear a mask. We're good. Like you don't need to do it. And it's just like, hang on, let me just snap my neck real quick. And, and you know, I think I saw it today. This is, you know, they're coming back out and they're saying, just kidding. Yeah. You guys need masks. Like it's yeah. just, it, there's, that's I don't, my take, man. It's, there's just, just too much back and forth, and there's this article, and there's this uh, briefing, and there's there's so much back and forth, and we nobody honestly knows the truth. Like, agreed. Like, I'm just me, little Michael in Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, my take is just like it's almost a it's this is definitely not a laughing matter, but it's a laughing matter watching the the back and forth between uh, the politicians and. Um, and everything else that's going on, I'm just like, which which way are we going with this? And yeah, we're making decisions off of stuff we just don't have data off of. And Tracing yeah, like has a lot of data acquisition, and I'm just a, a numbers guy and a data guy, so I'm just like, we can't make decisions off of it. So I don't know. It's be very <laughs> I, I am just a very hopeful and mindful of the small businesses. That is like the only, like not the only thing I care about right now. That's not what I exactly mean, but um, that's to me economically just the scary part. And and that's something I was going to talk to you about is, you know, how is your business? Is it, is it slowed down for you? What, what's going on with you guys? Because um, you're essential. You guys are still open. You're still seeing people. Yeah. Obviously it looks like you're still at work right now. Like I know, man. you guys. Uh, so it definitely slowed down that, um, I guess March 13th, that Friday was the official, um, like, Hey, Alabama, you're shutting down kind of deal. Mm -hmm. Um, and the panic really, uh, started. So that Monday we just came down to nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, we were having a really good month up until that point. And then all of that happened and we just slowed down. Luckily we have some good fleet contracts and they're still working. One of them's the local state troopers for Alabama. Um, and so we're servicing about a hundred cars from them and their motor pool director called me that the 16th on that Monday. I was like, Hey, y'all are still open. Right. I said, yeah. He said, all right, good. He said, I'm gonna keep feeding you stuff. So, um, that's been a good thing for us. And don't get me wrong. It's not like he's catering to me. Mm-hmm. Cars are broken and they need to be fixed. So we're here doing it. Right. Um, so th- we finished off March. We were like 25% down in gross sales. Mm-hmm. Um, which is bad. Like it's, that's a 25% doesn't seem crazy, but it's a lot. Um, we don't make a, a ton of money and, um, you know, we provide for about 10 different families and, uh, that's an effect, you know, it affects everybody from the top to the bottom. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of been hard. Um, now we're here in April and, um, it's started off slow. I mean, we're, we're about 50% down tracking right now. And, uh, you know, we've, 
we applied for all these payroll forgiveness loans and stuff. And it's not necessarily that we are in dying need of it, but um, it's definitely something that we need. Cause I want to continue to pay my guys and my employees. That's my biggest thing is like, I want to make sure that these families are taken care of along yeah. the way. And um, so it's kind of been my focus right now and just making sure we can generate enough to keep these guys, um, you know, bills paid and mouths fed. Yeah, I get it. And honestly, I don't, I don't envy your situation whatsoever. It's, uh, it's, it's extremely stressful. I'll be honest with you. So yeah, yeah, I can only imagine, but we'll roll it back to a little bit of a lighter topic and, and kind of pull the stress away um, with the downtime that you have. Uh, how many, how many kids do you have? And congratulations on the kid on the way. Uh, yeah, we have two kids. <laughs> two, so you've got two right now and one on the way, right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Congratulations again. That's amazing. Thank you. Um, you guys in your downtime, I saw, I think I saw a video yesterday. Uh, you guys are doing a little bit of online gaming racing. How's that going? Uh, it's pretty good. Um, my wheel just came in yesterday, so it was really my, I've done a lot of online racing in the past, um, with friend setups, um, and been pretty, I don't, I'm okay at it. It's, it's a different deal there, but, uh, the kids are loving it. Um, they're, they're, about one's about to turn nine, my daughter Peyton, and then uh, my son's six, and he's like a total gamer. Um, so he's loving it, but they're uh, it's going pretty good. We entered a pro two uh race last night and qualified third and got wrecked on the first lap leading the race. What does that mean? What now? Uh, so when you guys say you entered a pro two race, like what does exactly that mean for people? Oh, who don't like, the, uh, like the short course pro two um, pro light trucks, like that would race at okay. Lucas Oil. So it's like two wheel drive V8. Um, so I just entered one of those. And it was like 29 people in the race and uh, you finished fifth. I'm just in the rookie season there, but it's, it's something good. Um, Cause it's, uh, it's just keeping me occupied and it's keeping the kids occupied. My daughter raced motorcycles from the point she was three until about six and softball took over her life. Um, so she doesn't really get into the gaming stuff, but she actually really enjoys like all things motorsports. Uh-huh. Um, so racing like that. Yeah. Kind of like what you got set up there, you know, it's, the, yeah. she really enjoyed it. Like she hopped on last night and I put her on a, a like Charlotte motor speedway and put her in a car. And like, I was like, all right, figure it out. And next thing you know, she's doing 158 miles an hour and just holding the corners just fine. And I was like, well, Dude, pretty good. Hopefully a good driver in a little while. So yeah, um, we've been enjoying the downtime and playing a lot of Call of Duty. And um, my son loves Call of Duty. He eats it up. So he's probably better than me at it. That is a, six, but <laughs> I was about to say that's a that's a day that I uh, I'm looking forward to is when. Uh, so I have one stepdaughter right now, and um, I don't I don't know if any of my family uh, listens to this, but. Uh, my wife and I are discussing starting to try for another one. And awesome. uh, so that's really exciting. But uh, the day that my kid or kids beat me at video games will hit me deep. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever talked about it on the podcast, but um, so I'm, I'm a programmer. So naturally games, computer games, all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, I played World of Warcraft for like 13 years growing okay, up yeah. for quite a while. I've played every every game you can think of other than like RuneScape and EverQuest. I played everything. Um, so I am definitely the fit the, I fit the stereotype of the computer programmer for sure. I just wear a 
uh, a mask. <laughs> things. Um, but it is fun and it's really important to stay busy during these times while we're, you know, I don't quarantined or social distancing, however you want to say it, but uh, video games. Yeah, I've been working at home. I'm actually doing this from my work computer and I've about lost my mind because not getting out of the house and also having a six-year-old just talk at me all day while I'm trying to work <laughs> is like it has it has been very trying I'll say it like that um but it just it's just an interesting time so it's cool to see that you guys are doing something uh while while you have all this extra time but I wanted to bring it up because um this is a new game uh let's see here oh cool new subscribers um this is a game that recently came out it's on PC it's on PlayStation uh, and Xbox, it's called, um, called Overpass, and so, uh, everybody, um, called Overpass, and the point of the game, I'm getting a little bit of, like, feedback. You good now? There we go, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, so it's actually like, uh, I'm trying to find a good picture here. Um, they have razors in it. Uh, I think this is a, there's a little ace or something. Um, hold on, I think it's my AC. Let me go turn it off real quick. Hold on. All right. While I've got everyone here. Oh, there we go. Perfect. So it's this game. Oh, man, what a crappy picture. Uh, let's just do this. We'll do overpass razor. There we go. So uh, I think everybody should be able to see that here. Anyways, I'm not gonna. Um, it's a game where they have obstacle courses set up. There we go. Um, they have obstacle courses set up, and you can drive a razor or a rock bouncer through these obstacle courses. Uh, it's got a lot of different four drives. It's supposed to be uh, fairly real. I think I'm still, I'm still getting a little bit of that feedback. There we go. It went away. Okay. Yeah, it was the AC fan. It's, these vents right behind me, they're powerful. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. You got to cool. Um, but this is something I wanted to talk about, too, because uh, I don't know if you got ever got into really big into computer games, but there's a game called Rigs of Rods, and it's actually a full-blown rock crawling game. Like it has oh, uh, sweet. ultra bouncer in it. Like someone has spent a lot of time. It's really cool. Uh, so anybody out there is bored rigs of rods.com uh, or just Google it. And uh, you can find ultra bouncer on there and showtime and all the other cool bouncers. And uh, there's lots of maps that are fun. But uh, anyways, I pointed this out just because this is the first one with razors I think I've ever seen. But uh, yeah. other than that, uh, what have you been doing to keep yourself busy or what has your family been doing to keep yourself busy during these quarantine times? Uh, well, luckily I'm, you know, obviously I've been working, so my schedule hasn't changed too much, but um, typically during this time of the year, we are six of the seven nights of the week. We have some type of sports related thing going on. Yeah. Um, and so I haven't had that. And so that's why I've got back into the gaming side of stuff. And uh, thankfully my wife's okay with it. She's like, Hey, you do you, it's all good. 
I know you're going crazy. But um, so my kids actually homeschool um, with my wife. She stays home. So they, they're kind of used to the whole stay at home thing. But at the same time, they're very active. They go and do a lot of activities with group activities and co-ops. Um, so they've kind of lost their minds a little bit, too. So they're just trying to like, like today they went out to this uh, Moss Rock Preserve. It's like a hiking trails, rock crawling and stuff, um, rock climbing. And they went out there and took the dogs and um, they've done a lot of that and, uh, you know, tried to social distance, of course, as they're supposed to. But uh, they're just uh, they're just trying to make the best of it. And luckily we have um, some land and we've been um, play, able to play some baseball and softball and do some drills and hit and stuff out in the front yard. And it's kind of it's kind of been good. The kids have enjoyed that, um, but they're starting to get tired of not being able to go see their friends and um you know, go play the sports they love. So it's kind of yeah. I'm Bring up this nice picture. Uh, RC crawlers, RC bouncers. Have you guys ever gotten into this? Yeah, we have for sure. Um, my kids love them. Um, honestly, like uh, we would buy one and then they would tear it up because uh, they see the stuff that I'm always around and they're like, we want to do what they're doing. So they yeah. find like the gnarliest rock at that, like even that moss rock preserve. And they're like, hey, let's go climb up this. And the next thing you know, it's got a broken trans and the axles are hanging off of it. So now, um, I I actually, uh, I'm going to jump on uh, Nick. RC, see, some of these guys, yeah. man, it's crazy. Uh, I'm going to oh, yeah. jump on Nick's show. He's doing uh, one night next week. And um, I've talked to them quite a bit. And I used to have a bouncer, but man, you want those things to hold together and like you can throw some money at them and try to keep them together. Yeah. But dude, I lost my mind trying to keep my bouncer. <laughs> I mean, just trying to keep it in check because it is, these things are violent amounts of power and you can put titanium pieces and this and that, but yep. it's, these things break worse than the regular things. I know like, they do for sure. Crazy. Yeah. They were, they were breaking a lot. And like, honestly, it got to the point, like normally we are a busy family. So, like down in the winter and the fall we kind of start slowing down some so that's i'll buy one and use it for a little bit upgrade it modify it and then come around springtime i'm like well it's race season use some extra funds and we just kind of push them off and, yeah. and sell them so we, we just don't get to use them but like now i wish i had the one i had in december because it was built and it wasn't breaking anymore but i just wasn't using it we started practicing and stuff and uh it, you know and now here we are bored <laughs> yeah so Obviously, Nick from RC Command, he is paired with the Southern Rock Racing Series. Yeah, it's really um, cool. A new uh, series that's actually joining the Pro Rock Series. And I'm going to make it out to a few Pro Rock races. Um, if Southern Rock would come back to the state of Tennessee, I might actually be able to make it to a race sometime. Yeah. Oh, man. It's like everything used to be in Tennessee. And now it's all in Kentucky. Now it's all in Oklahoma, Missouri. I don't know if it's Oklahoma, but all the other parks are just, I mean, it's nine hours and it's really hard to convince me to drive eight or nine hours. First off, not to the beach. And then second, you know, just to go sit and watch, you know, I, I would want to participate and I'm not sure I have the funds to participate nine hours away, uh, knowing that I might come home with a salvage, you know, a total car, but, um, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's that's one of the biggest things I think people don't understand about these guys who, like, like yourself, I mean, you guys drove across the country and have this commitment to race. And, you know, 
anything can happen. And, and it's just, I think that even just showing up is something that people miss all the time. Yeah. I mean, um, we started going to King of Hammers, uh, four years ago, I think. And, um, we've raced every year, but it's just like, we've said now, like it's a whole family. We didn't bring the kids the first year and the second year we did. And we're like, we'll never miss uh, one of those races, like King of the Hammers specifically, mm-hmm. because it's so much fun. I mean, you know, the next thing you know, there's 60,000 people around you, but all have the same interest. Um, and everything else just kind of slows down and goes away. It's just all about focusing on the amazing views and that are in that picture and um, just riding with all your friends and partying and having a good time. So um, it's just showing up is, is amazing. Um, and it's, it's definitely something I miss, but like you said, the logistics of it all and funding it is um, it's proving to be difficult, especially as I'm pushing like six years of doing this and uh, five or six years of doing this, it's, it's, you know, it's wearing on me. And uh, so I've, you know, logistically made some decisions to kind of hold back on some stuff and just kind of pick and choose the races that I'm going to attend, Yeah, um, which has actually worked out pretty good because a lot of the races have, you know, I wasn't even planning on going to canceled anyway. So it really yeah. hasn't affected anything on my end yet. Well, let me ask you this. Too. Um, King of hammers. I had Hunter Miller on uh, Hunter Miller comes out from his works, uh, short course background, comes out with X3 and he wins the entire thing. And his brother Cody Miller um, finishes not that far behind him. It's their first year going at this. I talked to Hunter and he, you know, he, he said that his claim, the gist of it, and, and Hunter, if you get wind of this, it's not a, it's not a slam, but you know, it was a, a blissful ignorance of, I guess, the appropriate speed to go through the rock sections, the appropriate speed, the appropriate precautions to take the car. Um, kind of uh, just unaware, I guess, is kind of how he phrased it. Maybe not, um, but obviously comes out, wins the race on his first try. What are your thoughts about that? Because I'll say it again because it's a little weird when I got I got more than one person saying that there was some conspiracy behind Can-Am supporting and then Can-Am you know trying to sweep the podium. What are your thoughts on stuff like that? Uh, so King of the Hammers, that race in general, um, we've attempted it a few times now, and I kind of have a better feel for it. That race is a hundred percent about prep, in my opinion. And, and pre-running that's the two things and then uh the the next thing some people don't believe in superstitions but it's luck um yeah. so you've got to be prepared mentally the, the machine has got to be prepared um and you think it's prepared and it's ready to go take a one hour ultra four regional race out or something it'd be good um you've lost your mind it probably won't make it so there's a bug flying around it probably won't make um make it very far it might not even get around the qualifying course because it is brutal um and you have to be mentally prepared um a lot of people especially east coast guys aren't ready to take on a race that's going to last minimum of five hours i mean you're going to be in the car minimum of five hours if you won the race you're still going to be you know you finish in four and a half you know Mm -hmm. you're going to be in that car sweating and thinking about it for five hours so um and then on top, on top of that, you just got to have luck, man. You got to have that, the the right instances on the race course. You're like, dude, that was close. Like if we didn't uh, avoid that, like we probably just could have totaled the car. Yeah. For example, right there with me, you know, it's like um, we've had plenty of those happen throughout the years. And uh, 
I remember last year we hit, uh, I was I started like 17th, I think, and I was coming through and I was like, man, this is no big deal. We're just uh, cruising on along. And um, I passed uh, plenty of guys in the first 30 miles or so. And um, I think at one point they said I'd worked up like top five. I was like, man, we're doing good. We got this figured out. And I'm just in cruise control. My mental mind is like my mental state is great and uh, mine's going good. And all of a sudden uh, you just come down a hill, like not even a big deal. And then, you know, a wheel breaks off. Yeah. Like how unlucky yeah. was that? Like, was it a prep thing? It's possible. Like maybe it got overlooked and di- didn't get the torque wrench put on it. Um, but maybe the wheel studs just broke because it happens in desert racing all the time. So we're just running yeah. factory studs. So, you know, what I always kind of look back and like, hey, man, what if we – prep better what if we ran titanium studs or um what if we just got lucky there and it didn't break like what does that outcome look like for us um so with that being said i think that the miller brothers and can-am in general prepared for that race um better than anyone and that's what won them the race um was there some questions about did ultra four make the course easier yeah there certainly was i was in the driver's meeting when dave announced that all bypasses were open and there were no vcps that you had to hit I can tell you as a Polaris racer, I was pretty upset about that because I know that the guys that are racing Polaris can haul mail through the rocks and, um, you know, guys, you know, the Guthrie's, Brandon Sims, um, James Cantrell, me, you know, Anthony, Hunt, those guys are out there. Like we can, we can get through the, the rocks really fast. And I think for me personally, that's where I shine. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden we're not racing rocks and it's like, Oh, we showed up to a desert race. So don't get me wrong. There was rocks out there and chocolate thunder was one of the big things that was a deciding factor. Um, but taking that out definitely affected it. Yeah. Everybody had to run the same course. I get that part of it, but um, I just think that Polaris is a really good handful of rock racers and um, the the machine shines really well in the rocks and is dependable and reliable in the rocks. So. I think my take, hands down, the Miller brothers came out there, Can-Am, the Wolf brothers, they had Crowley out there with them prepping and, and showing them the ropes of that whole Johnson Valley and Means Dry Lake. And um, I've had the pleasure of Crowley showing me around for days out there too. It makes a difference. And uh, that, that helps. So that's my take on it. I just, it's all prep in my opinion. Let me ask you this. You, you as a driver, the fact that they, they made a last minute, or it seems like they made a last minute change to this race course where they said, okay, all the bypasses are open. You know, had you known that and had all the other drivers known that, you would set the car up different, knowing that you wouldn't have to necessarily hit these trails when you guys, you know, are prepping the cars, razors being, uh, you know, call it what it is. The Can-Am is better in the desert. Typically, uh, there's always exceptions. Typically, they're wide open space. They're going to be a little bit. They're going to be a little bit faster. But when it comes down to the rocks, the maneuverability, the whole nine yards, in my opinion, and I think it would be the common consensus, uh, the Polaris Razor seems to cut out the area where you guys shine. You know, with seemingly no warning or no preface. Uh, you know, that that's a meaningful change. And and how does how does Ultra Four avoid that? Or is there anything that they can do to let you guys know in advance uh that's a tough one i'm not really sure what their changes can be i I know um you know it's an evolving thing and they're learning every day and trying to make the best race course for 
the racers and the spectators alike um and you know spectators even watching the live stream just trying to see a good eight hour race or whatever um i don't really know man honestly you know they released the race course and if if you've ever been in an ultra four drivers meeting um they'll give you the race course on the map and everything and the first question any top level driver asks is how far can i get off the race course it's a reasonable question how far can i avoid that obstacle mm-hmm. so um that's everybody's just kind of up in the air about it until dave cole or jt comes out and says hey this is the race course and this is what you're running this is your options um i don't know if there's much to be avoided about it because they give you the race course a couple of days ahead of time you get plenty of time to do it and mm-hmm. for me when i'm out pre-running with my group of guys i'm looking at the bypasses on the other side of the trails yeah, agree. yeah you have to because even if there is a vcp well you can hit the vcp and then bump up around i mean it's it could potentially save time or a broken rig mm-hmm. so you just kind of take it for what it's granted i will say that when um they did announce at the driver's meeting i got really lucky and i was in the first um qualifying hour i was the second car to qualify i think yeah. so i just qualified and shot right out to the desert and ran the rocks and went to find all the bypasses and we ran the entire rock section finding the bypasses didn't help we didn't make it there but um that's that's the kind of preparation i'm talking about though you got to kind of know um the race course like the back of your hand and and really know your strategy behind it so yeah right and i think that there's a there's a mindset that you talked with right there that i think is the most important thing it doesn't make you any better of a driver it doesn't give you more honor or more you know to make you more valiant to well, I'm not going to take the bypasses. I'm going to run every obstacle straight through and do that. It's not the point. The point is to get from to the start line to the finish line. Yeah. The fastest. If you can take the bypass, take the bypass. But it is, it is essentially changing the course when the you know the gate is widened. You know, and, and I think that's something to to kind of point out there that there isn't necessarily extra merit for having to hit those obstacles. Or you know, if you if you had the option to take the bypass. But yet you chose, you know, okay, think about like this, listeners, Uh, go up back door or bypass back door. And, you know, okay, you might get a gold star on your finish. If you finish, Uh, you're going to get a gold star. Oh, I went up by, uh, you know, up back door. But when you finish 20 places backwards because you had to, you know, make a a sideline repair, it's not worth it. It doesn't make sense. So, yeah, it's definitely. something to think about and like talking about back door we all had to go down it this year and um the night before the race we went out there and checked everything out we're like let's go figure out the best line down resolution and figure it out we're sitting there with some um some other race guys out there that are pre-running and they're like hey um there's a bypass that is apparently supposed to be open for back door and you're going to be able to take it and i was like you've lost your mind this is like the star a part of the event is back door and there's been the most people here and you have to hit back door. But I went over and checked to see if there was any marks or anything over there. And like, you better believe if it was open and I could risk not rolling over like 90% of the field did, I'm going to go that way just because it's an opportunity to not wreck my machine and I'm going to keep going. And, you know, back door backed up. I saw it on the live stream. I watched the whole race again. It backed up and people were rolling if you could pass 20 cars by taking a bypass sometimes, it's a no-brainer. So Yeah. 
it, it okay. doesn't have any merit for me to, to do the obstacle, but yes, I guess the endurance race for me. I'm just I agree with you. I think in you. But so the the big the big tagline for for the announcement of this episode is uh, we were going to talk about the Can-Am Razor Gap. So obviously, I love your T-shirt. Uh, you're a Polaris driver. You're a Razor driver. For full disclaimer, I'm Polaris, and I'm going to play devil's advocate against my my own uh, my own brand here. Um, Can-Am seems to have the gap right now. With the current X3, the Turbo RR RC version, I don't. There's like 40 different letters in that name, but you have the Pro XP. The Pro XP comes out, and the reveal is, uh, for for probably an accurate word, just a little flat. Uh, it just kind of fell flat. And the X3 Turbo RR comes out, has more horsepower. It seems to be a little bit more grabby in terms of marketing. Um, I personally know that. There's a new race team manager, which, in my opinion, doesn't. That's that's not that's not the that's not the the changing point here. That's not you know oh the new race team manager the Polaris is going to turn around. It's not exactly it, but I do know that that the big push right now is Polaris marketing, and Polaris is doing a whole new campaign to to kind of show off what they have and what they do best. Um, now that does fall under a new race team manager because obviously there's no one that's going to promote the product better than you guys, the racers. Um, however, there is a there is a subtle gap. We'll say subtle, unspoken gap between the new Can-Am car and the Pro XP. Whether you agree with it or not, pretend with me that you agree with that. Um, where does the Pro XP? have room for improvement where where does polaris come back and make their stake again uh okay so that's a long-winded question there for sure um but to start with i want to say that i want to just ask all the people out there that are looking to buy new machines like what are you expecting out of the new machine like can-am hasn't changed anything since the x3 really released and now they're just upping the horsepower and changing their heads up and doing a different turbo setup so now all of a sudden, it's the glorious machine. Pro XP comes out. There's really not much change. They did a lot more changes on that machine than, you know, vice versa comparing a Razor to an X3. But, you know, the wheelbase is six inches longer. It's wider. You know, the chassis is wider, and it's it's an all-new chassis, and it does have more horsepower, and it has more suspension travel. So, like, Polaris did push the envelope a little bit on that side of it, and they definitely made some changes. I just don't think that people are understanding like what they want is the big thing. Like they're expecting players to come out and, and honestly just come out with a, a full on 4,400 race car. They can go trail ride and, and drink beer with their friends or something. I, I, that's what I'm thinking that they're expecting. So with that being said, the gap is um, there is a gap. I'm, I'll be honest with you. I think there's a gap. There's a reason for the gap though. Mm-hmm. And um, I've talked to, um, plenty of industry people, including um, the race manager, about this, and um, I'll I'll be honest about it. And and my take on it is that the West Coast is kind of the star area of where the racing's happening. Um, some people might not know this, but there's really not any factory racers on the East Coast of polaris there's plenty of guys that have backing um from polaris and i'm not i'm not up to date i'm not in that market marketing team of polaris but there's no like full-on factory guys 
that are racing East Coast. Um, Can-Am, they have a lot of guys out here that they are supporting. I don't know if it's a lot or whatever, but there's more support on the East Coast, and it's changing. Don't get me wrong. Um, Things are changing on the player side. But that support goes a long way. Um, Two or three years ago, I was looking at, you know, buying a Can-Am, and, um, you know, there was some offers on the table and stuff, and uh, I just – didn't take them but you know that was just me you know really not done anything spectacular at the time and they're giving incentives for me to come to can-am so just that kind of stuff alone is is getting people to make the change is uh is is kind of bridging that gap and and racer support is kind of a big part of it um as far as the pro xp in comparison to the x3 it just hasn't been tested yet enough um King of the Hammers was the first race that it was really the comparison between the two. And Mitch Guthrie finished fourth and three other KMs were in front. So Guthrie Sr. had a top four finish in a Pro XP. And um, I, I know from just talking to those guys that it was a little bit of an untested machine. We're all just kind of crossing our fingers that it was um, we did our homework and it was going to work. And um, I say it worked OK. Again, it turns into luck. I mean, bad things happen out there. And, you know, there's four or five guys out there in a pro XP that could have probably won the race. And, you know, they just got struck with a bad luck thing. But um, so back to the X3 stuff with them, um, East coast guys racing. Um, I'm going to give my hats off to Nathan Wolf, the Wolf brothers, Paul Wolf and the McCoy and John Arnold and all of those guys, their prep game is probably better than anybody's in the country. Um, And that right there is what's going to win races. They're putting in the time, they're putting in the effort um, to test, 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 and test, and practice, and figure out what works, and figure out what doesn't work. Um, every time that I've been to a race with those guys, they they are wrenching, they're testing, they're making changes, suspension, clutches, all kinds of stuff. And me, I I'll be the first to admit, I'm over there just like, hey, what are y'all doing? We're just gonna come out <laughs> and have a good time and race, and and you know, I've, I've prepped the car for all week. I'm ready to come race now. Like we're not gonna make these changes. Yeah. But hey. They went out and beat me, you know, like Paul beat me that race. And like, you know, again, bad luck happens. I beat Jamie that race and um, it just, it is what it is. But like, that's, that's the whole thing of it. Like those guys right now, they're building stuff. They're testing stuff. Everybody else, me included, we're just, you know, we're trying to make the best of this quarantine and um, testing and preparation is the biggest things. Jamie McCoy raced Polaris prior and he was fast then and he'd be fast in a, a Rhino. So yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, so that's my take on it is preparation. And um, on the Polaris side of it, I'm not going to take anything away from the East Coast guys because there's plenty of guys out there that are extremely fast. Uh, Jay Shaw made the switch. Knox made the switch. Those guys are fast um, in a Polaris. Mm-hmm. I'm not hating on their game, but, like, if they were putting in the prep and changing every single bolt on the chassis and new clutches and new belts and – um, new transmissions and new diffs every single race and just going over like you're prepping for the Mint 400, the outcome could have been different, you know? Like, Jay Shaw sure, could have ran sure. away with the championship last year. And sure. it's not a knock at Jay. Jay's my, one of my good friends, and um, I think that's just a big takeaway from it is that prep game, that prep side. You go out west now. Tons of factory racers, east coast and west coast. Um or excuse me, tons of factory racers on the West Coast can't am in Polaris. I'm sorry, I mixed that up. Um, um, I'm right on yeah. with you. The prep on those guys that are desert racing, 
that it is unbelievable. Like everybody's like, oh, we're doing bolt checks. We're getting race prep underway. There's so much more to what you're thinking a bolt check is. Those yeah. chassis are stripped down uh, James Cantrell style, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that's every that's single one. James, James eventually will, will watch this and hear this. Uh, that dude is hilarious because it'll be <laughs> six days before a race. Time to get started, and then the chassis is just completely stripped down. He's like, yep. oh, snap. I know when we did our King of Hammers episode, uh, we postponed it four or five times because he's like, uh, something didn't turn out the way I expected. And <laughs> it's two days before the race, and he's like, I'm just now got it back together. And it's just like, whoa, son, <laughs> come yeah. on, man. Yeah. So, but I think that the West Coast racing is a is a better example of it because you have so many factory guys out there on both sides of the brands um, yeah. that are putting in the work. Um, you know, Blurton's a great example. Like that dude, No Limit, like all that stuff they're doing. Like, dude, they are they're killing it with that game out there. And the Mint 400, yeah, it's swept by Polaris, and then you know you go out and Baja and like can't handle it or something. But like, dude, it's just a flip flop back and forth where's the gap there? You know, like, can, you know, people are trying to compare like, Hey, the top five was all Can-Am. Oh, well this race, it was all Polaris. And, um, you know, you're comparing something that this is why we race and this is why we figure it out. It's all the way up to NASCAR and it's all the way down to the grassroots racers out racing a Honda versus Toyota or something. So, yeah. Let me say something. Uh, that was not at you by any means. And it's, it's something I personally love to see is how fast you can get a car for a rebuilt from the absolute ground up. So it was oh, not. No, we got to hate on James about that, man. That's like his thing, dude. <laughs> dude that's, that's why I love it is because I can always count that at the last minute, you know, uh, it'll be, you know, it'll be a Wednesday and the race is on, you know, qualifying's on Friday night. And he's, yep, need to replace my turbo or need to replace my internals, things like yeah. that. Like, yeah. Yeah, so on the flip side of that, like, his prep game is great. Like, he's doing the prep that needs to be done. And then on top of that, he's working day job, and he's got a lot of other activities going on, and he's having to make time to do it. So um, there's a lot that goes into it, and you don't understand that, like, uh, I know you do, but a lot of people don't understand that the time that it takes to prep a race car, it is much more greater than the actual race time. So It is. It is. It Hats off to James. We're always going to hate on him because he'll be, you know, at King of the Hammers the night before the race, rebuilding his front end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're, you're definitely right. Uh, I had something else I wanted to say, but I forgot. Uh, talking about James got me laughing. Yeah. Um, no, but so I just want to finish off with that whole Can-Am and yeah. Polaris thing. Um, everybody's going to keep pushing the, the envelope. Um, I don't know. I don't even know what I expect out of Polaris or Can-Am or Honda, Kawasaki. I, what what more can you do? Like, without making a $100,000 race car, like, where's the cap? Where is it where people are going to be like, dude, that's exactly what I wanted? And it fits every single need and checked every, mo- every box off on my list. Like, you can't do that with everybody. So that's why, like, the Can-Am is going to suit people. The Honda is going to suit people. The Polaris is going to suit people. And – People want to complain about it, gripe about it, like buy what fits fits you and just roll with it because it's all up to you if you're a racer, if um, if you're going to be on the podium or if you're going to be upside down in the woods like me. <laughs> Let me ask you one thing really quick. Um, 
Uh, let me do this really quick because I want to talk about the Kawasaki and I'm going to forget somewhere in our conversation because uh, Kawasaki. Have you seen a Kawasaki in person yet? Yeah, I have. Okay. All right. So we'll talk about it here in a second. Um, uh, I saw David Uptain. He dropped off his Pro XP to have some gears installed, I believe. Um, one question I have because you put bigger tires on your 1000 or your turbo. I know for a little while the turbo transmissions, they were geared a little lower then they got geared higher. You have the rock and trail, which is geared really low. And then you have the standard, which is geared somewhere in between. Um, all that being said, you have clutching that changes the power output and you have, you know, a variety of different things here, but um, particularly uh, the gears in the transmission, obviously you can upgrade to stronger gears, but doing a gear reduction at that level, what, I mean, how does that compare to changing your clutching, changing, you know, a tune, changing all the other things you can change? Because that seems like big dedication and not only dedication to actually get in there and do it, but uh, it's pretty pricey as well. But I hear people more and more doing that because it seems to be a viable, you know, very uh, fruitful transplant. There we go. Yeah. Um, it is definitely a little bit of an undertaking. I've done so many. It's really not that much on me anymore. The turbo transmissions are um, really strong already. There's some stuff you can do internally to make them better, but it's not like the 1000 where you have to upgrade reverse chains and, you know, you're going to spend $800 on that whole setup, no matter which way you look at it. Um, but the turbo stuff, it's, uh, I, I, I'm just a big kind of guy. It's like, Hey, it's what fits you. Um, and what, what your needs are. Um, it's definitely some upgrades and it's a serious install for sure. Um, but for the, like the Pro XP change and even the Turbo S's, the gearing is just too high for the factory, from the factory. I'm not sure if they were suiting it more towards a desert car um, or more desert riding or something, but the low gear is just way too tall. I mean, the Turbo S comes with 32s. And I had a guy in here last week or a couple weeks ago, and he was like, dude, I can barely get this thing on the trailer in low. It's mm. too tall of a gear, and it's 100% stock. Um, so that's kind of where people are trying to upgrade that. The Pro XP has the same low gear, but it's a different um, high gear in it. And so that's kind of why I did it in mine, and most of the other guys have done it in theirs, um, doing that, that low gear only upgrade so we can mm -hmm. keep the high – so we can get the speed in the desert and even in high speed sections on the East coast. Um, okay. so that's kind of where we are with that there. When I had the 1000, um, I think Joey had me, uh, he was doing a lot of the trans building for me then. And, uh, he's helped me a lot still. Um, I think he had like three transmissions for me on deck, basically all like we had stock, we had like the Crowley edition trans, which is the rock and trail, um, and we had just like a custom one-off. It was like 40% reduction or something like that in high in case we like came up to a tight, 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 tight woods race or something where we could just really utilize the power, um, mm -hmm. power man and, and just maximize performance out of a 1000. So, so um, just, just quick rattle off here. You don't have to be exactly right. Give me some rough estimates. If I come to you and I say, you know, Hey Michael, I want you to do the installation. Um, what am I looking at price-wise and performance-wise? Am I just going to get my low back, or is there anything else that I can look for on a turbo transmission? Yeah, on the turbo trans, so the 18s and the, the those transmissions are pretty straightforward, and they're pretty good and out of the box. Um, but the Turbo S and Pro XP, 
Um, if you want to get those done, the Turbo S is going to be somewhere like the seven to $800 range, getting the gears, um, removal install, and getting everything back in with Polaris fluid and everything. And then the Pro XP just changing the low gear, you're probably in like the five fifty six hundred dollars $600 range just doing the low gear. That's so, less than a yeah, it's really not that bad. The gear, I mean, it's all factory gears is what I'm using. Um, they're not upgraded aftermarket pieces or anything. It's just different model gear issues that people have found have worked. And um, I didn't do the research on it. I just kind of rolled with it. And um, yeah, but they, the performance gain, um, it's you're going to notice it like in the low speed trails. If you do rock crawling or anything like that, you're going to really notice it then because it's a uh, it's a night and day difference like where you might smoke your belt on a little rock ledge two or three foot tall um you're not going to do that with the, the low range you know reduced now, now i just started wearing where i changed picture with the kawasaki so i wouldn't forget to talk about it but um when you upgrade to, i mean i upgraded to a heavy 30 i'm running the super grip eight it's not heavy i shouldn't have said that live <laughs> <laughs> um <I'm, laughs> Uh, K9, it is a thick, heavy Kevlar tire. It's got a lot of meat to it. Um, I personally feel like I need to get more of my low back. Would you recommend? I have a 1000, so it's got the reverse paint, got the whole nine yards. Would you recommend getting in there, upgrading everything, reverse chain, or trying to find a turbo transmission to make the upgrade that way? What would you recommend? So it really just depends on your um, budget on that one for sure. Cause like the turbo trans is probably your best option as far mm -hmm. as strength and reliability goes, but it comes out the highest cost mm -hmm. um, doing that. Uh, I mean, it's a tough one because it, I don't know your driving style, but just a typical trail rider, do the reverse chain upgrade and do some, you know, reductions along the way. And I'm not up to date on the current 1000 stuff. I really just haven't done many except for mine two or three years ago. Um, but if you do do the reduction, it's going to be significantly better. And I think that the 1000 trans is geared too high just because it doesn't produce the power that the turbo, the turbo does. So, um, especially on the East coast, it's not like you're going to be doing 70 in the woods. If you are, then props to you, you should probably be racing. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but the clutching is something that's really important too, man. Like we, we spent a lot of time clutching and I spent a ton of time clutching the 1000 when I raced it. And I had more success probably out of clutching than I did anything, but it was an easier change to manipulate that setting versus taking a transmission in and out. So sure. you can get some quick responses out of that, you know, um, quick changes that are noticeably different. Now, do you recommend uh, a kid that has a kind of like predetermined, um, clutch setup, you know, like you follow the graph, follow the chart, or do you think that really having the ability to fine tune and adjust weights is worth the hassle of having to get the weights all in there and everything? Um, so on the trail riding side and just your typical leisure riders, um, most of these clutch companies have really got it figured out um, okay. and, and where to go to. So you can call up RVS performance and say, Hey, uh, Ryan, man, I got this set up and I'm running 35 inch tires with the 35% reduced portals. And he's going to go, man, I got the setup for you. And he's going to send it to you and you're probably going to be stoked on it. Um, yeah. If that's what I would suggest most people do it now on the racing side, um, some of you players guys and can guys might not know this, but it is an ever changing game. So 
that setup is a whole different story. You are always kind of guessing, to be honest with you, especially me. I am, hey, let's try this spring. Hey, let's try these weights. Hey, let's measure these and try it this way. And just try and guess and figure out what works best because tire size changes from different venues and um, the, the type of course you're racing changes. And you're just kind of in the, in the testing and, and figuring it out, trying to figure out what works best. So yeah, leisure guys, I say call up your favorite clutch company and um, and hit them up and say, hey, this is what I got, and they're gonna work with you and um, and they'll be there to to guide you along the way. Like, hey, I put it in, and it's, it might not might not be where I think it should be. What do you think? They'll get you some video. They send you some videos, and um, they'll get it sorted out for you. So cool, awesome, yeah. um, Okay, as we're we're kind of hitting the the end here, uh, the Kawasaki you mentioned earlier. At what point do all these cars kind of pan out where your price point meets the car that you always wanted? Um, the Kawasaki, obviously, Razor, I mean, call it what it is. Razor, you got to upgrade, you know, a couple of different things in terms of reliability on, like, suspension, things like that. I was able to run my stock suspension, like the A-arms, radius rods, all that kind of fun stuff, um, for a long time. was able to run the springs shock setup. It's a pretty good great package right out of the box but definitely has room for improvement um can-am you got to strip the whole car down and reinforce the entire frame um that's its own demon but uh this kawasaki it just came out not a lot of like negative stories i'm hearing about it it seems like what they did was they overbuilt the car overbuilt the drivetrain and just underpowered it so you can't break anything but at the same time the parts are pretty pretty beat in person, we're pretty impressed. There's some technology in there that's not being used anywhere else. Um, it was it was a good car, in my opinion. Um, what are your thoughts on that car? So I don't have a lot of firsthand experience with the car. Um, I've seen them in person. I've seen them riding. Um, I'm kind of with you though. Like it's an overbuilt car and it's underpowered, um, but it shines in the rocks. Um, I know. David Uptain had one and he literally bought it just because he wanted to test it and figure out what was going on with it and how, how it was and how it compared to everything else. And he was like, dude, you cannot beat this thing in the rocks. Like it is the best machine on the market for rock crawling hands down. So I can kind of pass that information along. Um, but I think that there's, you know, some, some, uh, I don't know. Uh, there, you, you can see through it and go, hey, they're uh, Kawasaki's onto something, I think, you know, because I, I haven't heard much negative about um, going on with that machine. And it seems to be holding up pretty good. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, people, but um, that machine is it seems to be holding up pretty, pretty solid. So, yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on it as well. But um, I just wanted your take, because to me. I think that if you're looking for a car, again, I don't have personal experience with it. I don't know who does. I've uh, been seen one in person, never ridden with one. I would give that car a try. I mean, if it had the aftermarket support, you know, if, if more more places started carrying parts for it, like, you know, I mean, you can go get a Polaris Razor Axle at Walmart just about. I mean, it's, <laughs> that's why people get Polaris, in my opinion, is it'll hold up. It's pretty good. But aftermarket support is just ridiculously, like, just everywhere. Yeah. That's the main reason I actually went back to one uh, in my last change here, uh, rather than going. I was actually looking at the new Wildcat. Oh yeah, I'm glad I do it. But it's a it's a different car, look different. I like different things. I like trying things. But happy I did what I did. But uh, if I were doing it all over again, I had to buy a car right now, 
I probably would go with this one and just build up some parts over time and be my own dealer. Yeah, for sure. And I know like uh, Jeremy McGrath raced um, one of those yeah. and he had like 35s on it. And I think the machine was like pretty stock as far as the suspension yeah. upgrades and stuff were like, you know, as far as the hard parts of it. Um, but he, uh, he might've had a turbo kit on there, I want to say. And, uh, you know, when you start adding big power to like, to a car like that, you're going to see some big improvements because um, then it's a contender. Yeah, anything. absolutely. So, and well, it goes back to who, who's Kawasaki going to put in driver's seat that's that uh that can go and compete with the players Can Am and Honda right now. Yeah, because yeah, Honda's yeah. pushing hard on that. You know, just put the best driver in there we can, and let's let's go and and run with it. So, give me give me your thirty second thoughts on the Honda Talon. Uh, very cool car. Um, I started behind both of them at King of the Hammers. And the two guys that were driving them were absolutely madmen behind the wheels. And it was extremely awesome following them around because they were wild. Um, mm-hmm. And with that being said, the car held up and I think both of them finished. So 30 second take sounds really good with the turbo on it. The shifting seems really fun and they did a really good job putting good drivers in there because those guys are madmen behind the wheel. <laughs> good answer. Solid answer. Um, but that pretty much wraps up what I had in mind for the show. We're right at about an hour and a half. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about we didn't get to? I don't think so, man. Um, cool, cool. Pretty, uh, pretty straightforward. Have- Looking forward to get back into racing soon. That's all I can hope for. Aren't we all? Because uh, I'm going to try and hit more of these live streams. Um, this will be posted to Facebook, uh, all that fun stuff. It'll actually go to all the podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you like to listen. So it'll all be there. Um, but I enjoyed this. This is way better in my opinion. Uh, this is more fun, way more engaging. Um, is there anyone that you want to thank before we close it out? Uh, yeah, I want to thank my wife cause, uh, she tolerates all this crazy stuff that I do and she does it without batting an eye. So, uh, first and foremost, thanking her, um, Walker Evans, Polaris, super ATV, moto race, tire, RBS performance. Um, Gear Grabber Shifters, Gilbert Designs, TFR Engineering, um, 503 Designs, Best Window Nets out there, PRP Seats, um, and uh, I think that toughs everything but just about off. David Uptain, Razor Life, he's been a huge help with um, all of my program and everything. And, uh, yeah, just everybody that's supported me and and keeps hoping me for the best and, and pushing me to do this stuff, uh, I appreciate it. So thank you, Jesse, well, for having me on. Yeah, man. Uh, like I said, I've been wanting to do it for a long time. Glad we finally got it to work. Um, what we'll do is I'm going to end the broadcast, and I think you may be able to stay in here with me. If not, uh, we'll figure something out, but I'll, I'll get in touch with you here in a little while. Everybody, cool. thank you for listening. Thanks for watching. Um, if you saw it on YouTube, subscribe because we're going to keep doing this. Facebook, uh, do all the fun stuff and leave us a review. So. Without further ado, the powerful Michael. Thanks for being on the show, buddy. Thanks, man. See y'all. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the show. I do want to go over Super Grip ATV one more time. But before that, if you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really helps us, and it really goes a long way. Uh, Super Grip ATV doesn't just offer the K9 tire. Uh, they offer an amp tire, an amp 
uh, I'm assuming that everyone is pretty familiar with the K9 by now, but I'm actually going to go over it. The Super Grip K9 is a rugged, all-terrain, ATV, UTV tire designed to get you through the most extreme terrains. The K9 features an 8-ply rated radial construction with great rubber compounds for your on-road and off-road adventures. One question I've been getting on Facebook a lot is how do they wear on the road? Guys, I'm not sure, and I'll find out if I can tell you what they were getting out of their R&D tires, but I mean, it was in the ballpark of, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of miles out of these tires. Um, longer than any tires I've ever ran, for sure, on my any of my machines. Uh, if you're looking for the ultimate control, on-road or off-road, you need to not look further. The K9 tire is it. You know what's really cool is they actually offer a Kevlar uh, sidewall on there. Kevlar is obviously a synthetic fiber that's about five times stronger than steel. Kevlar is used in the tires in one of two ways. Um, as a replacement for the steel coils that form uh, the tire's edge, known as the beads. Um, but also, it actually goes into the... Uh, let me make sure I'm reading this here. Uh, da, 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 da. But it is a uh, internal fabric that internal fabric casing that forms the tire structure. When the beads are made of Kevlar, the tires are lighter and the tire can be folded up easily. Something that can't be done with a regular tire, and it is super strong, y'all, super strong. I've run Kevlar tires before, and they're absolutely nuts how strong they are. Um, super good tire, one inch tread depth, eight ply rating. Comes in a 27, a 30, a 32, and the elusive 35. That tire is going to be awesome. Uh, the K9 will eventually be coming out in three different compounds. Spoiler, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that, but here it is. Uh, it's going to be coming out on a standard, uh, a soft and a softer. They're going to have uh, two different names for the soft tires, but that's essentially what we're getting at. I'll, find, I'll iron out the details there. Another tire that they offer, which I think is a big hit, is the uh, Shredder tire. It's an extreme mud tire designed for maximum traction in the mud in an amazingly smooth ride. The two-tiered tread pattern, shoulder treads, and massive tread lugs provide excellent traction and clean out in even the muddiest conditions. Deep wrapping tread bars hook up on one side while dispersing the mud from the center channel. That's the Shredder. The sizes that Shredder comes in, whoa, it's a lot. They have a 25, uh, two versions of the, wow, a bunch of different versions of the 25 in different uh, widths, a 26, a 27, and a 28, all in different widths, and some with a liner option. Uh, guys, tons of different things. Supergrip also offers an entire line of wheels right now. Now they're non-beadlock wheels, they're alloy though. They do sell a 12-inch wheel and they sell a 14-inch wheel, which are super stylish. Um, one more tire worth mentioning is their amp tire. The amp is a non-directional tire pattern. I'm sorry, excuse me, tread pattern that makes it great on almost every type of terrain. It's kind of like a big horn, but not exactly the same. Sorry, super grip if I'm not supposed to say that. But uh, for your, you know, just so you guys have a mental picture, that's what the amp tire is. It comes in uh, the ATV sizes, a 24, 25, 26, 27, and a 29 for the 11, 12, and 14 inch size rims. Super cool, you can run a 27 and a 14 inch rim. Whoa, big boys. And a variety of widths there. But glad to have Super Grip on board. Super Grip is gonna do some awesome things in the future and I'm glad that they have hitched their wagon to Racing on the Rocks. Uh, another sponsor is Infinite Off-Road. Infinite Off-Road offers a 25-year you-break-it-they-fix-it warranty even covering accidental damage on all of the following products. Light bars, light pods. 
wheel rings, whips, uh, rock lights, for example, super bright rock lights. And by the way, they're running a crazy special on uh, their four watt rock lights. I think that's what it is. Um, check that out this week. I'm not sure how long that's actually going to last. Uh, they offer all listeners of the show a 10% off coupon. Code word rocks, R-O-C-K-S. will get you what you need and get you out the door 10% cheaper. Another sponsor we have is We Buy Rides. We Buy Rides is a car dealership where you can go and confidently get the best offer for your vehicle. Um, highly recommend doing business with these guys. The customer service that I've had with them has been pretty much unmatched. Uh, there was a almost no questions negotiation between us. I knew that I was getting a really good deal. They, you know, it was no hassle. Uh, I'm confident that you guys will run into the same uh, encounter with them. They're awesome to deal with, great people, and they'll even uh, get the specific car that you're looking for, a 4x4 diesel and Highline vehicle specifically is their specialty. They move a ton of cars through the lot, and I'm super happy to be doing business with those guys. That's WeBuyRidesWithAZ.com and WeBuyRides on Facebook. Last but not least, All Things UTV is our final sponsor. Everything else that the two companies, or three companies, uh, don't sell, All Things UTV picks up the slack. Uh, All Things UTV will become a Super Grip ATV dealer, um, so you can expect to get the K9 and other tire options through all things UTV. But not only that, but they have awesome tender spring upgrade kits. They have performance clutching, axles, uh, wheels, tires, everything you can think of. They've got it. All things UTV really uh, is your one-stop shop. And like I said, with my experience with them, almost overnight shipping. I mean, I, I don't know what overnight shipping exactly entails, but ordered it Thursday, showed up at my house on Friday, uh, and just got the last of the batch that came directly from System 3. I had tracking numbers, the whole nine yards. Everything was awesome. So All Things UTV on Facebook and Instagram and allthingsutv.com. All right, everybody, make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you review the post, uh, review the podcast. Give us some love, and I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. Thanks.